0: Get tickets to Experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio.
1: You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Dungeons & Dragons Honored Among Thieves. On your knees!
2: Okay, chop it off.
0: Chop it off, let's do it. I'm thinking they're probably sharper stairs somewhere else
1: <laughs> all right everybody you were just listening to the trailer for dungeons and dragons honor among thieves and the story is as follows a charming thief and a band of unlikely adventurers embark on an epic quest to retrieve a long lost relic but their charming adventure goes dangerously awry when they run afoul of the wrong people the film is starring chris pine michelle rodriguez rege john page justice smith sophia lillis and hugh grant it is directed and written by Jonathan Goldstein and John Francis Daly, and it is co written by Michael Giglio. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Amy Smith. Hi, everyone. Isaiah Washington. Hello. Dan Baer. Huzzah. <laughs> and joining us as a guest here, returning to the podcast from Feelin' Film, we have Aaron White. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Okay, now I cannot start this review officially until Jonathan gets here.
0: Where is Jonathan?
2: I think
1: we should really wait. I I think we should wait until he gets here. Don't you agree? Well, in any event, seriously. For someone who does not know uh, much about Dungeons & Dragons, uh, which might surprise some people, given that I love Lord of the Rings, I love Game of Thrones, I love fantasy in general, I've never actually played a game of Dungeons & Dragons in my life in any shape or form. So for me... I'm a fan of the genre, but I was very unfamiliar with the types of creatures, the spells, the lore, everything heading into this movie was a complete mystery to me, other than knowing that it was from the creators of Game Night, a comedy film that I very, very much enjoyed, and I'm sure many others did as well. And this film was being positioned by Paramount as almost being Guardians of the Galaxy, but yet set in the world of fantasy. It had its world premiere at South by Southwest, where Dan Baer um, saw the film at its world premiere. And it got a pretty decent response there. Uh, But now, having seen the final product all for ourselves, what do we ultimately think of it? Is it the start of a new franchise? Let's get into Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Starting off first with our guest here, Aaron White. Aaron, what did you think of this movie?
3: I really enjoyed it. And... I love that you brought up the franchise potential because I think that would be fantastic. There's so much depth and there are so many stories that can be told in the Dungeons and Dragons like expanded universe. There's different versions of the the places that can be visited. There are you know multitude of characters that are well known to people who've played these games whether it's tabletop version or a video game version over the years. And for me, I'll just kind of sum it up and say that I think overall what they did in this film, right. Is they nailed the feeling of playing dungeons and dragons with your friends around the table. I've done that for decades and this is what it feels like. And, and there are some faults with that when you translate it to cinematic form, I think, but there are, are more strengths than faults and I had an absolute blast I geeked out I was like that comic book nerd watching a Marvel movie probably is where I was just pointing at the screen and giggling at reference after reference after reference and I think it's also pretty accessible to new fans I hope so I hope that's what you're going to tell me Matt that it was accessible for you so uh, I thought they did a great job.
1: Okay. Dan Baer, you were at the world premiere at South by Southwest. It was the opening night film there. What was the vibe like and how did it feel coming out of watching it?
4: Oh, the vibe was very celebratory. Everyone was really excited for the festival to begin. They were excited for this movie. They were excited for this cast that were, you know, all present for it. And everyone was ready to have a good time. And A Good Time, I think, is exactly what this movie is. I think Aaron nailed it when he said that it feels a lot like you're sitting down at the table and playing Dungeons & Dragons with friends in a lot of these scenes. I think it, the script is very clever in that way. But mostly, it's the this cast, they're having so much fun, and that fun translates through the screen to make sure that the audience is having that same amount of fun watching it as the people who were making it had when they were making it. It's just a breeze, it's a blast, it's so funny, I was laughing my ass off, and I genuinely don't think that you need to have a working knowledge of Dungeons & Dragons lore in order to understand the story, and understand a lot of the jokes, there are also a lot of jokes that are specifically for the D D faithful
1: to be fair to that point dan and to answer aaron's question from earlier <laughs> i wholeheartedly agree with you it really did all work for me and never once flew over my head in such a way where i ever felt lost so yeah if you're not familiar with dungeons and dragons you don't need to be worried heading into this movie
4: yeah, I think the mostly the place where it gets into a lot of heavy D&D lore is the second half, probably. And even that, like, you don't need to know what all these things that we're seeing are in order to have fun with it. They just kind of like, you know, creatures and things appear on screen unexplained. And you go, oh, what's that? And the movie doesn't say, but you get enough... From the uh, the circumstances to understand, oh, this thing bad or this thing good or get a general idea of what it is, even if it's not fully explained. And yeah, I thought it was weird that the directors of Game Night were chosen to direct this. (laughs) But uh, after watching it, you know what? These guys can do whatever the hell they want.
1: It's funny you say that because I would look at something like Game Night and think to myself that they are actually perfect for this kind of a movie that is ultimately meant to be this broad comedy that's accessible for a lot of different audiences, fans or non-fans alike, but at the same time takes its humor pretty seriously, not like in a self-deprecating manner. I think yes,
4: but... On the surface of it, anyway. Like, going from Game Night, which is, you know, a little absurd, but kind of quotidian, I guess. Like, it's about everyday people doing everyday things, ultimately. And to going from that to Dungeons and Dragons, which is, you know, high fantasy. They're not exactly the people that I would have expected, but going by the tone of the movie, it's perfect.
1: Okay. All right, then. So next up, Amy Smith. Did Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves cast a spell on you?
2: Absolutely, did. I'm also a player of Dungeons & Dragons, been playing it for a few years. I've actually got a campaign set in Neverwinter, so it was a lot of fun that that was the setting they chose for this film. I think what made me so happy about this film was how they actually utilised the cast. I've been begging Hollywood for years to use Chris Pine Wright and to cast him as a leading man who's also this hilarious bard, brilliant. I finally felt like he was coming out of his shell and he was given something to work with. And you could say the same for the entire cast. I think this is going to be the star of what could be spin-off series, what could be more films. Like You don't need to do a direct sequel. This is a film in which you could have Different landscapes, different characters, and you know people are going to come back if you present a story as well thought out as this one. So I'm excited to see where this goes in the future.
1: All right. And Isaiah Washington, what did you think?
0: Well, I don't know crap about crap with uh, Dungeons & Dragons. The closest thing I can get is actually seeing people play it on actual films and television. And it didn't also help that I really wasn't a big fan of the trailer. There were some like moments that intrigued me, but really wasn't a fan of the trailer. And this is probably one of the bigger surprises of the year for me so far. I really loved this movie and I was very entertained with the cast ensemble and just the creative world building that this film had to play around with and Chris Pine, I, I agree with Amy that it's not necessarily that Chris Pine has not been doing any good lately. But I feel like ever since post-Wonder Woman, I've kind of been seeing him take different types of roles that are outside of what we are normally used to him. And while it's nice for an actor to explore, I feel like I'm getting a return to form of the classic charismatic movie star Chris Pine that we fell in love with when it came to projects like Star Trek or the first Wonder Woman, or even if you want to go back all the way to his early career with something like Princess Diaries, where you feel like that you just can't help but fall in love with this guy, no matter what flaws or what traits of the character that he's portraying. And same thing goes with some of these other Actors who are seeing, I'm seeing here, like in a sense, something like Justice Smith or even Michelle Rodriguez, who is kind of elevating a little bit more than what we normally see their character or their um, characters that they normally are typecast to portray. And I just had so much fun with this movie, and I can't wait to talk more about it.
1: Yeah. So as I was saying before, didn't know anything about Dungeons and Dragons heading into this movie either. Was very pleasantly surprised by. You know, I, I kind of expected it to have that fun tone based on the marketing and the trailer. I went into this thinking, okay, it's probably going to feel a lot like Guardians of the Galaxy. And I do think that there is a bit of a Marvel riff in terms of the humor and the action and just the overall tone of the movie. But much like Guardians, where this film really excels for me is in its casting, and how well each of these actors play off one another to give us this band of misfits or band of thieves, if you will. And yet they all work together so well, not just in terms of the comedy, but also in terms of the drama. By the end of this movie, I was really attached to the central relationships uh, that were all formulated through these characters. And even though... I kind of walked into this with this uh, feeling of, all right, let's wait and see, high skepticism. I ultimately walked out saying, okay, it's not great. It was good, very good at parts, and kind of mediocre in some parts, but on the whole good, which only leaves room for improvement with an inevitable sequel that we will receive down the road. So I am very excited to return to this world, return to these characters, and see what they will ultimately give us in the future. But I think one of the uh, other smart ways to structure this film was to ultimately make it a fantasy heist film, where you're giving these characters a quest, and because they are ultimately a uh, group of thieves... You know, the end goal is to get the riches and get rich, but for Chris Pine's uh, character, e- what, what, what's his name again? Egan? Edgin? I can't remember. What was his name in this movie?
3: Yeah, it's it's, Edgen. Edgen. Okay. it's Edgin. Edgin. Okay. E d g i n. Right, yeah, right. It's definitely a fantasy name.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he he's uh he's he's a bard, a former member of the Harpers, whose wife is. Uh, murdered, and he has raised his daughter, Kira, along with Olga, um, the barbarian uh, uh, character who basically does all the fighting and is the brute strength of the group. Uh, Chris Pine doesn't really do anything other than do quippy one-liners, make plans, play the, um, what is that instrument called that he's playing too? Loot. Loot. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, like, he He's kind of pointless in this movie, but he gives the film its emotional crux. He is ultimately the heart of the film and the central relationship that he has there with Olga and his daughter Kira and how they are kind of this wacky uh, family. And then they bring these other characters, like you said before, Simon played by Justice Smith, uh, Doric played by Sophia Lillis. And uh, later on, there are other characters that come and go. It it all ultimately comes together because each of these actors are so likable, and the chemistry that they they all share with each other is very fantastic. And then you throw in Hugh Grant, who is ultimately doing another version of his character from Paddington 2 for us all over again, and you just have a kind of can't-fail recipe for success in terms of its casting. So that's what carried the movie over for me ultimately. Was even if I was lost at certain points in terms of spells, lore, locations, character names, I'm going to ask Aaron and Amy for lots of help with a lot of things on this review. I'm sure the heart of this movie is ultimately where it succeeded. And a large portion of that is due to its casting. Coming up on Five Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. So with that said, who was MVP for everybody? Because I know for myself... It was Regé Jean Page.
4: <laughs> I, I am with you on that, Matt. I thought Reggae Jean Page was a total scene stealer. I love that he came in for just like a couple of scenes in the middle of the movie and then dipped. He,
1: it's kind of designed to be a scene stealing role in that regard,
4: yeah. But on the other hand, like it does not work without his exact right mixture of pomposity i guess in the comedy like he makes it work so well like it has it has no right to be as funny as he makes this character it's kind of cliche i mean most of the things in this movie are kind of cliche, but they work because the cast is so committed to
1: them. I mean in that regard it kind of reminds me a little bit of uh Dave Batista and Guardians. Yeah. In, in terms of the deadpan humor and not, not really understanding uh sarcasm, taking everything literally. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. And it it's I love it because that's exactly the sort of thing like you'll do when you're playing D D to make your character stand out more. Like it's that kind of thing.
1: Well I, I saw someone saying this online that uh, the Reggie John Page character, uh, what's his name again? Zenk? Yeah. Yeah. I, I keep wanting to call him Xanax by mistake, but Zenk, <laughs> um, he, he's kind of a riff on a certain type of D&D uh, player trope. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Aaron, What what was your read on it?
3: Oh, I mean, yeah, he absolutely is. I mean, a, a paladin is generally very high on themselves, and that's mm. their role when they come into a party is they're going to be someone that is trying to follow the rules. They're a little bit high and mighty with their attitude, um, and and I just think he nails that exact class of how a typical player would try to role play as a that class and that's that's where all of them succeed for me is that they just all nail the vibe of how you generally would act and so that was what makes it so much fun is cuz you get these colliding uh, types of style of play right where you have him who's strictly by the rules and very lawful in nature and then you have this band of thieves and how do they interact how do you take these different approaches to a quest or to life and put this party together to accomplish the same goal. It's what makes the game fun is experiencing just that slamming together of differences, but yet for a common goal.
1: And I love that too here because each one of the characters are so distinct from the other in terms of visual presentation, powers, personality, (laughs) Nobody seems to have like any type of crossover and I agree with you Aaron especially when we see them working together in a fight um especially towards the third act I got such gleeful joy out of watching them work together as a team because they all had such specific abilities and trying to see how all of those abilities would fit together within the puzzle to make a scene coherent and enjoyable was a blast Paige was
0: very, very close to being my MVP. I think what's—because ultimately, this, the majority of this cast ensemble, you can make a case for any of them being the MVP. But what kind of stopped him a little bit is that ultimately his character is kind of cut out a little bit short in the film which is not a problem but a little bit of a nitpick of mine i kind of wish i had a little bit more of his character which ultimately if i had to pick one i can't believe i'm saying this but i was very surprised how much i loved michelle rodriguez in this role because like justice smith yes she's playing another character type that we normally see her do this hardened Uh, badass of a woman. But not only did I like that her character was dealing with a sense of vulnerability with another subplot of hers, but also I didn't know Michelle Rodriguez had it in her when it came to the comedy department because out of everybody, she made me laugh the most when it came to just her blunt humor of just Revealing everything that's on her mind that would either help the situation or would completely not help the situation at any time during their quest. And I was just roll. I was just rolling.
2: Yeah, I'm going to uh, agree with Isaiah here that Michelle Rodriguez was my MVP as well. But I think it was because of how quiet and subtle her subplot of the story was. Because Chris Pine's narrative is the one that's forefront and centre, and you really care about this quest, essentially, to sort of bring his wife back to life. And her subplot sneaks in and quietly lays low, and then when that emotional moment hits near the end, it's so good, and you feel... Like, the story is truly complete.
1: It's actually a pretty, I think, brilliant piece of screenwriting to put Edgen's, uh story at the forefront, and you realize that it's really there for selfish reasons, so it sets him up for this character arc by the film's end. But meanwhile, you've laid the groundwork for Olga's character with her backstory with what will probably go down as one of the more enjoyable and absolutely unexpected cameos of the year. <laughs> I, oh
4: my God, out of nowhere, die. out of nowhere.
1: I I it took me a long die. time to adjust and realize what was going on. Yes. I was like, is that? No, that can't be. I'm like, what? No, I
0: realized it in the first five, like the first five to 10
1: seconds. I was like, are we going this way?
0: Yeah, we're going here. All right. I was in shock. I, I
1: had no idea that this was coming whatsoever. That was one of either.
0: those moments at
4: the premiere where it was like, you could sort of hear the tittering in the audience as people realized <laughs> what was happening and i was definitely one of them like watching this scene like
1: why does this person look so familiar well no what was so what, what was really funny about it to me was i'm listening to people laughing around me and giggling and i'm like okay so He's short compared to her. So what? What's so funny about this? Am I missing something? (laughs) And then you realized. (laughs) And then it dawned on me. Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Like, if anyone knows me, they know what my reaction to that scene was.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But you go from laughing at it to by the scene's end being very emotionally invested then in Olga as a character, Mm -hmm. and they don't tip their uh, hand and show their cards too early. They let it stay and kind of have it fly under the radar and sneakily find a way to bring it back at the end in a way that made sense, in a way that helped to complete uh, Edgen's character arc, and then really just tied everything together to the point where I, I I turned around and said to myself, you know what? I'm not crying or nothing like that, but I appreciate that the movie is taking this more heartwarming approach towards its ending in a way that has gotten me emotionally invested in each one of these characters now that I want to see more adventures with them. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, it's again like kind of a basic – d d playing thing. like, you know, the story strokes are really broad. They're, you know, they're not anything incredibly complex or even all that complicated usually, but they're still satisfying. And that is exactly what this movie does. It takes pretty basic plot points and characters and arcs for them and just executes them really well and with a certain degree of care that you would want to see if you were sitting around a table with your friends for you know dozens of hours (laughs) playing through a story you want these things to hit home eventually and this movie they do not have dozens of hours they only have a little over two and they managed to make it work and make it work really
1: really well well, that's another thing too about this movie is that the runtime is not two and a half hours long. It's about two fifteen or so. But I thought the pacing of this movie was actually pretty well done. All things considered.
3: Yeah, for the yeah. most part, it was definitely until good. the last act. Yeah, yeah, it needed some tightening.
1: It definitely yeah. needed some tightening. So what? So I just had a curiosity. What about the last act? Did you feel it was dragging too long? It was one one climax too many.
4: Yeah, basically. Interesting. It pulls the old, like, we did it. We defeated the big, big bad and we won. Except, oh, no, we didn't actually because the big bad has another phase that's coming.
1: Well, that's another thing, too. And, Aaron, I don't know if we should be getting the spoilers necessarily with this element of it all. But I did notice that there is kind of this looming big bad who is not... Presented in full, uh, but is ultimately like the puppet master pulling the strings of uh, Daisy Head's character, Sophina, and we never really get that payoff. So that's clearly laying the foundation for something else down the line.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think you would have to assume that the Red Wizards of Thay, which is what this is based on, you know, I've had their own adventures written about them throughout the history of the Forgotten Realms, which is the setting for this whole D&D world. And, and they're a big player, like it's a big deal. And so anytime you have like these necromancers and powerful, powerful beings, there's layers of underlings. And I, and I think it's built like a campaign, right? Like you, you go through these different stages of enemies that you're going to come up against and be challenged by, whether it's, you know, someone who's just not magical, or physically strong, but very cunning, as a certain character is in this film. Um, Or, you know, whether it's a beast of some kind, or whether it's, like, a magic user, you have to adapt and overcome them. And so the movie does a good job of throwing different things at you to let the party experience them. Um, While I think, yeah, maintaining this bigger presence that can help expand this universe if, if they want to, which hopefully the response will be good enough for that.
1: So what I'm hearing a lot of from the responses here is that the movie captures the feeling of playing the game.
3: It does. And I, I wanna point out one more specific thing about that. Is, and and not necessarily my MVP for the movie, but I love Justice Smith in general. I don't know if he has a lot of fans out there, honestly. But I just, I I think he's fantastic in pretty much everything. I love his kind of just deadpan, like, nature. And he really does such a great job of playing a wizard. So I've played wizards, like, my entire life. I'm just obsessed with playing them. And the way that they allow his character to experience what it's like being a magic user in the D&D world as a player is phenomenal. There's a thing called attunement that happens in the movie. And I think for most fantasy fans, when you're watching a movie with magic, people just sling spells around, right? They just they just do it. It's just kind of natural. But in D&D, you have to prepare spells. And you have to sometimes have things called regents, which is like, you know, like you have to like have... Items to make them ab- available to be cast. And when you find a magic item, like there is a magic item that is a main player in the story of this, you can't just use it. You have to go through a process of what's called a tuning or else you can't use the magical properties of that item. And I know that that probably is like just over the head of somebody like Matt when you're watching this. You're not necessarily thinking about it in depth, but for a D&D player, you're like – That's exactly right. You know, I spent a year on this campaign before I could actually use this badass magical sword. And then and it's a big deal when when you finally get to do it. Like, it's
1: huge. Here's the thing, though. I may not know much about Dungeons and Dragons, but I know a thing or two about storytelling. And I hate... Okay, that's a strong word. I have disliked a lot of Justice Smith's previous work. Let's just leave it at that. If
0: there was an award for most improved actor, he would definitely be down the line. I think this is leaps and bounds greater than anything that I've seen him early, especially within Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. I love Justice Smith in this role, and if they want to bring him back – I
1: am down. Oh, they're they're definitely going to bring him back. And quite frankly, I'm with you Isaiah. I too felt the same way heading in and then coming out. I think a lot of what Aaron is saying here, this struggle, this conflict that he had with himself with his insecurities of rising up to be worthy of being the wizard of this group. Uh, that Chris Pine's character ultimately believes in and gives him almost like this false sense of confidence. (laughs) By the end of the film, he ultimately discovers that his greatest enemy is himself and he's able to overcome that. He even gets the girl at the end. Spoiler alert. I just thought to myself, you know what? As said earlier, it's cliche, but yet his performance, as you're saying, Isaiah, was leaps and bounds better than what I've seen him deliver before. And I think it was just a combination of good storytelling, clever screenwriting, incorporating elements from the world, uh, the game, in a way that made sense for what we would anticipate from a feature motion picture. And ultimately, I very much cared about his character by the end of all of this. And you know what, too, Aaron, another point? It is so refreshing to see a wizard, like you said, um, ultimately have to struggle because most of the time wizards, I feel like, in fantasy are brought in. We don't really know the limitations of their powers and they can ultimately just do anything and they kind of act as a uh, do ex machina to get the characters out of a situation. Mm -hmm. Not the case here at all.
2: (laughs) Well, that's actually another part of Dungeons & Dragons is that you level up after you've done a certain amount of missions or XP or anything of that sort of sort. Uh, So like for now, I'm a level five druid and I mainly use magic to sort of combat. But the more that I play, the level up means that I can unlock more spells. It means that I can use the spells more often because you actually have a limitation on how many spells you can use before you sort of rest and get your sort of HP and everything back. So it makes complete sense that he's maybe like a level three and he's using these very basic spells just to distract people and sort of steal from them. <laughs> and the more that he goes along his journey, the more spells he's unlocked. So it, it makes complete sense. And I love that they did it that way.
1: And one of the things that I've learned too about Dungeons and Dragons over the years is that a lot of strategy and planning goes into how you are ultimately going to tackle a mission. So having Uh, Edgen kind of be at the forefront of that, like as a character who doesn't really have any powers, his only power is that he makes plans. And then to see those plans crumble and having to adapt on the fly. I mean, like there's a whole sequence where... Zenk, uh, Reggie, jean Page's character, ultimately lays out this super complicated process, but if you just pay attention to the instructions, you can follow it, and then they'll ultimately be able to cross this bridge, and then <laughs> that just gets completely <laughs> derailed. And I was thinking to myself, this must be what it's like to play Dungeons & Dragons, where you yes. all come together as a group, well, you have a plan, yep. and it all goes to shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: Literally, a natural they- one for sure.
4: There, there were two <laughs> scenes it was that scene and the graveyard scene where i was like oh. <laughs> this came right out of someone playing dnd no, like this, this is just lifted straight out of a campaign yeah. into this movie <laughs> it is like like amy said it's like the natural one where you roll and like oh my god my character did something so dumb <laughs> But they have all these things where they take the game mechanics and, like, turn it into something that feels natural in the movie. Like, someone just, you know, like, they're excited and they misstep. Or, yeah, we can, I can, I can bring the dead back to life, but you can just ask them a certain number of questions. Why? That's just the way the spell works.
1: And that ultimately counts as a
3: question. Yes! <laughs> I, the, potato, no. the potato cracked me up. That was because so there's bad. someone... That, oh, the, the question or the potato? No, that was so good, the potato. I... I yeah. I mean, yeah. that's exactly... Because someone in a game, uh, you know, is going to be excited and not thinking straight. <laughs> yeah. Because a new encounter is happening. They're going to be like, I throw a potato at his head and they're going to just <laughs> scream it out. And then the DM is going to creatively set the scene of what happened yep. in that situation. And it, and it played, and I, I could see somebody, I wondered Matt, what you would think of that? Like when that potato got thrown, it, it's so out of left field. You know, you want to know what I was thinking for real? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I'll
1: tell you, I'll tell you exactly what I was thinking of. I was thinking of the shot in matrix, uh, re, uh, revolutions <laughs> oh where, my God. Agent Smith gets punched in the face in slow motion by Neo. And I was thinking, oh, man, look how far we've come in digital technology.
0: <laughs> I, I know that um, some people uh, here are not as big as a fan of that third act completely. But I actually love the third act. That was actually one of my, my favorite act of the entire film because that's when – me as someone who doesn't know crap about Dungeons and Dragons, I actually felt a lot of the video like the like the game type of elements that you would get. Like when essentially Chris Pine's character, Ian, they're like put in this position to where like, oh, they survived, but not that easily. They gotta go through like this maze runner-like game gladiator type of situation and then as they're going through as they're trotting through they have these creative things in which they uh, create these little places where you can either grab a weapon or you can open the wrong door and it will actually lead to your ultimate demise i actually like the creativity in the world building within the set pieces and seeing these characters some who have these great powers and of course like Chris Pine, who has no powers, but that kind of makes him a little bit more interesting and in how he's a bit more relatable and how he would like trot through this area. I, I loved it.
1: I absolutely loved everything about the moving blocks sequence. All I could yeah. think of during that scene was, man, if we took a bird's eye view of this, this would very much look like a video game. And it played out exactly like that, like you're saying, Isaiah, to the point that I found it to be just so entertaining. Um, and then when we got to the... Uh, sequence after that, where all of them are teaming up to f- combat uh, like the big boss at the end of this movie, if you will. I've not played Dungeons and Dragons, but I've played some Final Fantasy and I've kind of it kind of felt like that to me at times. And so it never lost its game spirit. And I love that before we got to those two big set pieces prior to that, it was a heist film. Mm -hmm. And a very cleverly plotted one too, where they're using this portal to uh, get from one spot to another. And then there are these logistical problems that come into play with that situational comedy. It was a ton of fun.
4: Yeah. I think that making it a heist movie was perfect in a lot of ways. It's a very traditional D and D, um, Plot line, for lack of a better word, is you know, the fetch quest. You need to get this magical thing because, you know, story reasons. <laughs> and uh, they, it, they perfectly, you know, set it up for that. And again, like it's basic, but it's executed with a lot of humor and a lot of heart and a lot of cleverness. The. The
1: sequence
4: where um, Sophia Lewis's character has to escape the castle.
1: Oh, my God. And yes, she keeps
4: changing into all these different animals. And, like, look, some slightly dodgy visual effects. Like, their, yes. their minds were bigger than their pocketbook, unfortunately. I agree completely. But, like... That sequence is so exhilarating. <laughs>
1: well, the ambition to make it look like it's one continuous shot. Oh I was god. like, okay, this is definitely insane. from the directors of Game Night.
4: Yes, that was where I was like, oh my god, they had that insane one take in Game Night 2 where you don't mm-hmm. even realize until after it's over, like, oh my god. They did that all in, you know, quote unquote, one take. It
1: looks phenomenal. And you know what, if the sequence didn't get you from the visual effects standpoint, I thought it landed perfectly at the end where Chris Pine uh, remarks, so she did turn into a deer. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Like if you weren't sold on it before, that just sealed the deal for, for me. It, it was, <laughs> that, that might actually be my favorite sequence in the entire movie just because it took me by such surprise. Like I said, I ultimately had confidence because of these were the people that gave us game night, but all throughout, I was kind of looking for those moments where I could connect the dots and say, "Ah, yes, now I know why they were hired for the job." And that was definitely the moment where I realized and thought to myself, "You know what? This was a very risky idea." We all remember the previous Dungeons and Dragons movie from a couple <laughs> no, of we years don't. ago. Don't, lie. Yeah, okay, okay, fair enough. No, we don't. no one does. But this could have gone horribly wrong. I've, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about other fantasy type of films that have come out in recent years that just haven't caught on with the general public something like um, like Warcraft, for example. And here it just had the right mixture of heart, humor, action, fantasy. Everything was in sync. Not in a, and like I said, I want to reiterate this. This is not Lord of the Rings. This is not Game of Thrones. This is not for your serious, adult, mature fantasy audiences. This is meant to be a blockbuster for the masses, for kids, adults, fans, non-fans alike. And in that regard, I think they checked off all the boxes and they ultimately did make a movie that could... For the most part, please everybody. I mean, I'm looking at the box office results, and the uh, CinemaScore just came out a little while ago as being an A minus, and it looks like they've achieved what they set out to do here.
0: Not bad, not bad. Yeah, you know,
4: it's difficult to make a like a- an adaptation of Dungeons and Dragons because Dungeons and Dragons doesn't itself have a plot. It's basically a book that is just like the rules of fantasy stories, basically. (laughs) And, you know, taking all the tropes from every fantasy story that has ever been told and codifying them. So the danger in trying to adapt it is that you get something like the... Like 2000 or 2001 or whenever it was version where it's just like oh my god this is every fantasy story we've ever seen and it has crappy visual effects and bad performances (laughs) but then you can get something like this which says yeah we know it's all basic kind of but you're going to have a good time with it because we're having a good time telling you the story
1: And there was a lot about this, too, that I was super nervous about heading in, not just from a property standpoint, but also, too, you know, I I could tell from the marketing that they were trying to position this almost like a Marvel movie in some ways. And while it does retain, I think, some of those formulaic storytelling beats at times, I think the lore and the history of this world and its infinite possibilities do open it up a little bit more for it to be um, what's the word I'm looking for here Uh, just more exciting for what the future could potentially hold in store and then other thing too is that this went around for quite a while as a project in development from studio to studio director to director, screenwriter to screenwriter, this was originally supposed to come out in 2021 if I remember correctly so it's been delayed a couple of times until it's inevitable release now So by all means, I just didn't feel like this movie was going to succeed. Then when I heard the reactions out of South by, they were a little timid. Like everyone said, yeah, it's good. It's fun. But nobody was raving about it. And I'm not necessarily raving either. But at the same time, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that, yeah, it was a good time. I recommend people check it out. And I think that leaves enough room for improvement for there to be a sequel that will be better down the road, whether it's, you know, the second one, third one, whatever the case might be. Um, I do want to ask, just going through other members of the cast here, though, what did you all think of Hugh Grant here? Uh, because I, <laughs> this is where it finally dawned on me with Hugh Grant's career that we are in an era where it very much seems like every role that he takes on, his number one goal is to ensure that he is just having the most fun out of every cast member that is in the project
4: (laughs) it's weird because like he kind of sticks out like a sore thumb in this cast he's older by a significant margin he's you know like sort of this uh prestige or almost legacy actor in hollywood like his His fame is from a different era than everyone else. Mm -hmm. And it it all works, again, because like he's having a blast.
0: (laughs) Look, I saw that Operation Fortune movie a while ago. And um, like Justice Smith, this is a breath of fresh air compared to that. I really... Loved everything that they did with his character, even to a certain point where I found myself more invested to him as the villain rather than the actual big bad villain, who I wasn't really a fan of. But uh, all the quips, all the charm, all of the Hugh Grant things that you like about Hugh Grant—yes, you've seen this before, but it is definitely one of the better versions. Of that type of performance that he's given. And and I like the rest of the cast, I
1: enjoyed it. Yeah, there are there are times where it definitely gets a little maybe too silly, but yet I just couldn't escape this ever-present feeling that Hugh Grant just doesn't give a shit anymore. <laughs> and there's something very enjoyable about watching him just be free as an actor to do whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> I I don't know what it is, but I I was enjoying the hell out of it at times. Like there's one scene where he gives Chris Pine a hug and I I just couldn't stop laughing.
4: (laughs) (laughs) It's really interesting. Like there's part of me that wonders if we're ever going to get something from Hugh Grant that like actually takes us by surprise a little. I think like the last time he did that was basically – cloud atlas like i'd like something different from him but on the other hand if he's going to keep giving performances that are basically everything that we expect but they're this enjoyable he can keep doing that for the rest of his career i don't care
1: he's been stealing like every movie that he's been in as of late from this paddington Two, the gentleman florence foster jenkins he's a meryl streep in that movie (laughs) amen
2: I've just had a look. His next film is apparently the Pop-Tart story directed <laughs> and starring Jerry Seinfeld. No. So, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> That's apparently a real thing. Oh. Oh. Unless wow. it's an April 1st bull that somebody's put on his Wikipedia.
1: <laughs> and I also want to give a shout out too, to Sophia Lillis here as uh, the druid or the, uh, am I saying this right, Tiefling
2: yes.
3: druid? She's a tiefling. Yes. That's right. She is a tiefling.
1: A very uh, overpowered character, but one that doesn't necessarily play well with others. And I thought that she, I've, I've actually always been impressed with her work, uh, going back to when I first noticed her in the It films. Uh, but she was also fantastic in Sharp Objects. I really liked her in, um, what was that, uh, what was that movie that she did with um, Uncle Frank? Uh, it was called. Uh, Gretel and Hansel so she's she's continuously impressed me in pretty much everything that she's done to this day and this was no exception here. I absolutely enjoyed every moment watching her transform into a different animal. And kept thinking to myself man, she's the kind of character that if she wanted to single handedly like accomplish this mission on her own, she probably could. But the movie does a fairly good job of showing why that's not possible. Even though, you know, there are times where she transforms into, I don't know what the hell you would call this thing, but like, it's like a. It's an owl bear. Owl bear. An owl bear. I love yeah. that you guys knew exactly <laughs> what I was referencing. Was <laughs> they literally say in the
0: movie, oh, an owl bear. I didn't know what that thing was when I first saw it. I just knew that, okay, she can basically transform into this supernatural, <laughs> monstrous tank that. That's really cute. <laughs> also. Yeah. Also. I'd but if they, they get into trouble and they need to pull out the big guns, yeah, there it is.
1: Well, no, but the, but the, but the, they do a good job with is showing how, against normal human forces, she could accomplish this mission, but because she's going up against this um, red, I don't know, Aaron, help me.
3: Red wizard. Red wizard. The red wizards of Thay. They're blood wizards.
1: <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> she she's outmatched and she needs help, and I just i really i really like that
4: (laughs) she was actually the weak link of the cast for me oh Oh, no i feel bad because i have also liked a lot of her previous performances and wanted to like her in this but maybe it was the character but she felt very one note to me throughout a lot of this, just sort of like staring kind of wanly at the camera or at Justice Smith. And
1: I see, I think I, what I was into (sighs) more so than the character was the power of the character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought the power was so cool.
4: (laughs) Oh yeah. Wild shape is amazing. And I love playing druids because of that.
1: (laughs) She's, she's saying that I need to, cut a like a hole into this piece of uh, concrete so that I could turn into a worm I'm like this is so freaking cool <laughs> like <laughs> she could turn into a fly She, she she's just I, I just like yeah okay fine I'll give you that lack of character development sure ish but yet the power was just so much fun oh yeah okay uh so why don't we get over to final thoughts
0: Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Anything that we didn't mention that you want to bring up or something you want to reiterate, Aaron, we'll go over to you first.
3: I just one more time want to say I am... So in awe of how well they managed the little details of the lore for people who know it. The name drops, the fact that we started in Icewind Dale, which is a very famous setting. The even the the dragon, the beast that is in this, it, it is a very unique design. One that the pudgy dragon. <laughs> it's real though. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. It comes from yeah. a lore. part of lore. Yeah. Yes, and it's fat, and it literally got fat because <laughs> the the dwarves that live in the underdark, which is this very, very cool setting that I wish they would have explored a lot better, but hey, let's do a whole movie about that. There are the um, sequels. There are there <laughs> the sequels. <laughs> but like this dragon was getting fed slaves by this this race of priests or whatever. And so he eventually he is very vain and very gluttonous. And so he got fat. And like the fact that they're able to put that in there and Both have it be super fun just from a person who's never played D&D but just is watching this really cool, fun sequence play out in an adventure movie, but also that extra element. I truly did. I felt like that Marvel geek because I never read the comics in the way that so many people did, but I remember, you know, like a a New Rockstars video or something pointing out every little detailed Easter egg. I felt like that guy in this movie, and I'm just so grateful that people who truly loved – playing Dungeons and Dragons were responsible for making this because it, it made it turn out like the way that I think the fans really hoped for. So I, I just loved it. I really had a blast. Okay,
1: great. Amy, how about you? Final thoughts?
2: I think this film is really coming out at the right time. I think Dungeons & Dragons really got a boost uh, due to the pandemic. Either the people playing it online because they had nothing else to do during the pandemic or people wanting that community space and wanting to meet up and saying why don't we just play this game weekly
1: let's also not forget stranger things
2: absolutely yes so that's what me and my friends did once we were able to meet up like right we're sitting at a table once a week and we're gonna play this game and we're gonna bond over it um i know there was also rumors a while ago that the critical role cast would have been in it it looks like they're not but i do love a little fresh cut grass shout out uh i appreciate that but I think this has truly come out at the right time. I'm glad that we've got a film now to sort of showcase this is where we are right now with Dungeons and Dragons and here's how much farther we can go with it.
1: Not only that too, but also when you say coming out at the right time, we're also currently going through a phase of superhero fatigue. Absolutely. The two superhero movies that have come out this year, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, and, Sh- and Shazam, have been considered financial disappointments. And we're seeing instead... Continuations of franchises that people are still invested in like Creed or Scream or John Wick doing well. And now here comes along something new that, yes, is based on pre-existing property, but has been able, according to what I'm seeing here, once again, early box office numbers for the weekend, forging a path for itself, no pun intended, of uh, to be a new franchise in the future that we can get invested in. And hopefully uh, not feel fatigue from because – I'll tell you this right now. I don't see if this is successful every studio then trying to copy the formula and saying, oh, we got to make a group fantasy heist movie.
4: <laughs> you know what's extra great about that too is that it feels like it's not even like the cast of this. They're not – the. A-list superstars That you would expect would bring in That kind of numbers In an opening
1: weekend
4: Mm -hmm. Like even Chris Pine like Who you know is kind of A-list Like He's more known for you know Being Picard in the new Star Trek Or not Picard sorry Um, He's more known for being Kirk In the new Star Trek movies Or you know in the new Wonder Woman movies. He's not quite that like super duper A-list recognizable. Everyone is going to see every movie that Chris Pine is in level. And I think that's so cool because these are all people that are great actors who are deserving of that level of
1: fame. Especially like Michelle Rodriguez. She's been around. How many different franchise movies has she been a part of at this point, right? And yet this might go down as one of her most memorable roles of her career. Oh, totally. Yet next to Widows, I think that this is her best. Yeah. Yeah. Best what? Best role? Best performance? Best performance. Yeah. Really? Okay. I mean I mean, it's not really saying that much because, I mean, you just said it yourself. I mean, this is not a character, this is not an actress who's. Really I, I think there for- are some roles in her filmography that maybe you haven't seen. If that's what you're saying. Girl fight. Yeah. Exactly. But I get I get what you're saying. No. Yeah. I'm saying that in terms of the role, and you know, because like honestly, like, the, like I know she's known for the Fast and the Furious movies. But those films have just become a parody of themselves <laughs> where it feels like every movie she's required to just go, Dom! And thats I feel like all she does every movie is just yell out Dom's name during an action sequence or two. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. you know, she was in Avatar.
4: Justice. Justice for her character in Avatar. Yeah, let, let's not
1: forget that. <laughs> so I, I, I think that this is definitely one of her more enjoyable uh, roles that I've seen her in where I do feel that. It has given her the opportunity to show people what she is capable of from a comedic standpoint, from a physical standpoint, and surprisingly also a dramatic standpoint as well, especially by the time we get to the end of the film.
4: The relationship between her and Chloe Coleman as Chris Pine's daughter is so good, so well drawn, so heartwarming.
1: There's one moment in the movie where they used flashbacks that I. I just didn't feel it was necessary. I thought it was a little overkill and they could have trusted the audience a little bit more to put two and two together. Which part? Uh, Towards the end end.
4: When she has like a realization. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
1: Fair. That was the only part in the movie where I was like, "I I I get this central relationship. I know what they're attempting to do here. I could see it coming pretty much a mile away. Then again, I was also trying to factor in, all right, what about people who are not as well-versed in (laughs) storytelling as us and are coming to this movie? Maybe this is, like, the first time they've seen a movie in a a theater in God knows how long. (laughs) Fine. For those people, I'll tolerate it. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else, Amy? Final thoughts?
2: No, I think I covered everything.
1: Okay. Uh, Isaiah. I just want to reiterate uh –
0: that graveyard sequence was probably the funniest scene of the film. <laughs> Monty Python
1: levels of comedy there. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: That okay. scene is so good. Did you did you guys know it was coming at the like did you when it happened? I, I leaned over to somebody next to me and we both simultaneously said post credits. And I mean, it was like – like you just knew that it was coming yes. ahead of time? Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean even like you're saying before the post credit scene came, like this is definitely going to be the post credit scene. Like exactly. You called it. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I did yeah. the same thing.
0: And um... – we, we talked about the cast. We talked about pretty much everything. The last thing I pretty much have to say is that there's this – because we, we talk about the Marvel inspiration. I, I, I consider it inspiration a little bit because it doesn't feel like a ripoff in my opinion. But there's a certain thing that happens in the end of the final battle that is very much similar to what we see the Hulk do in one of the Marvel films. Uh, with Loki? With- <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. I don't want
1: to spoil it too
0: much because I want people to really be like taken off guard by it as I was. But I swear, I remember when I was in the theater for Avengers years later. Seeing this, I ain't gonna lie. This kind of got a better reaction out of me a little bit. I was (laughs) just rolling on the floor, howling, laughter, laughter, and just everybody. Again, the audience. See this in a theater because the audience just makes it so much better. I loved it. All right,
1: nice. Dan Bear,
4: I really just have one major nitpick with this film, and that's like you know, your major Dungeons and Dragons adaptation, and you don't cast Joe Manganiello in even a small
3: bit part. I mean, come on.
1: There will be sequels, Dan. There will be sequels.
3: <laughs> did, did you happen to watch the Dungeons & Dragons direct last week? They had a... No, they, I did not. So they had a 30-minute... Uh, Wizards of the Coast put on a 30-minute thing where they talked about this movie and tie-in yep. like merchandise and stuff. Joe was on it as... He is actually currently in production with doing a documentary about Dungeons & Dragons for I think it's the 50th anniversary that's going to come out next year.
4: See um, there you go, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I I love that. I I want to talk more about that graveyard sequence because it's so funny. It is going to be one of my favorite scenes in any movie this year. I I love it because it it is humor that I think absolutely works for people who have never played D anD D before, but if you have played D&D before, it works on a whole other level of, like, you can see the fingerprints of, like, the Dungeon Master <laughs> creating this scene with the players as they go. And it's so well done. It's so funny. I had a an absolute blast with it. And I think that that is the thing that I'm mostly taking away from this movie that is that it's just fun, no matter how you look at it, no matter what angle you come at it from. it's just a good time at the
1: movies. I saw so many people commenting on Twitter, especially when the movie started getting a high rotten tomato score. people saying, there's no way this movie's good. There's no way. People are lying, right?
4: And like it is It's not great. But it's good. It's well done.
1: No, let's be very clear about this for a minute. I think that this is one of those cases where the Rotten Tomato score can be a little deceiving. This movie could have gotten all sixes and sevens from everybody, resulting in meh kind of scores or, yeah, you know, it's good. Like, just lack of enthusiasm. And it can be in the 90s as a result of that. Not saying that's exactly what's happening here, but I would venture to say that there are – more of those in this case, probably than people think. And then there are those who genuinely do love it, especially fans. I know fans are really reacting positively to this, but it does lead me to ask one question uh, to those of you who are familiar with D and D. Is there anything that the movie got wrong?
3: I mean, technically the Druid can't do the owlbear thing the way that she does, but like, yeah. who cares? that was awesome. <laughs> like I bet Amy wishes that they could.
2: Oh, I wish I wish I could, absolutely. You no, know, I think the rule is like half power or something. Like You have to firstly see the animal or know the animal's existence that you want to turn into, but there's also a certain limit as to how strong that animal can be yeah. based on your level. So like for level five, there's no way I could be an owlbear, as much as I'd love to be one.
1: Okay, so they got that stuff wrong. <laughs> Was there anything that you felt like they repurposed or... Combined certain elements to make the storytelling more digestible for people to understand?
4: I really wish that they had um, explained more of what the gelatinous cube is because the gelatinous cube is an iconic D&D monster (laughs) and... They're so funny when you try to explain them what they are and how they work that I wish they had found some way to incorporate that into the movie. But as it is, like they convey it well enough with the, the visual storytelling of it. but I, I really wanted someone to be like, oh my God, the gelatinous cube. It, like I would have w- I wanted that exposition dump, basically. <laughs>
1: I do like the way that they use the exposition dumps in this movie through the appeal at the um, oh, yeah, the help me the 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 icy tower. what do you call it?
3: Oh, yeah, that's great. I don't know what you It's a prison,
1: sure. Yeah. <laughs> but using Chris Pine's like opening voiceover narration to essentially tell his backstory as a means to, State his case as being a a good person. (laughs) I thought was really, really well done. (laughs) Oh man, as and also to buying time for Jonathan.
3: (laughs) Well, that was another. That's a perfect example too of like gameplay, right? Because as a player, you you create this story, and so in in his play, if you're looking at Chris Pine's character as a player, he has decided he's going to do this thing, right? This is this plan, and. Instead of reading the room and using logic as the story is progressing, he's he's already created this awesome plan in his head that's going to be so much fun to, like, play out, and he just does it anyway, even though he doesn't need to do it. And And I thought that that was, like, a great example of how a player can do something that seems ridiculous just because it's fun versus maybe it's the smartest thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Or because like you
4: think that you're so smart because you have come up with this super complicated plan to make something work. And then in the end you could have just done something so much easier.
1: <laughs> I, I did very much enjoy the payoff to that scene in particular. Oh,
4: the Was callback <laughs> is so good. It's so good. <laughs> That's the thing. Like all the, jokes in this and the funny moments and scenes they're they're funny because mostly they're really clever in how Very. they use the the world and use the characters in situations i just i can't help but applaud
3: one thing they did do that was different from probably most people's experience with the game that is a good i think choice for storytelling was to not make chris pines bard a magic user because yeah. you already had you know a sorcerer you had a druid so you had multiple users of magic a paladin at times and then you've got your villains he didn't need to use magic but you know canonically like a bard is generally going to use magic that's what they do mm-hmm. but instead they just really leaned into the whole charisma stat and wit of that type of character instead, which I think was a great choice.
1: It's also a clever ploy by the studio, too, because right now, while we're championing uh, diversity within storytelling, we have another straight white male like actor leading the group here. However, they counteract that by making him essentially useless and a doofus at times, <laughs> And I quite enjoyed that. I enjoyed that he was flawed. I enjoyed that he didn't really contribute much to anything other than giving um, inspirational pep talks that sometimes worked, (laughs) sometimes didn't work, and formulating plans that most of the time didn't work. (laughs) I don't know. There was just something um, very endearing about it all that made it lovable, and I think uh, the large reason why that works, I'm going to go back to this again, is the casting. The casting of Chris Pine. Oh, yeah. Had you cast a male actor who some audiences consider to be unlikable or smug, that role would not have worked.
4: <laughs> Had you cast, for example, a crispy rat
0: in that part?
1: <laughs>
0: well, I think it would be – it kind of be a little bit
1: redundant to cast Chris pratt given how and like- yet i bet you he auditioned
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: that guy wants to be a part of every franchise in hollywood oh, i swear god. to god
2: if you go to wikipedia it was meant to be there was going to be a 2016 version of this film and apparently yeah. it was ansel elgort who was gonna lead it
1: see we dodged a bullet people oh, we absolutely. Dodged a bullet.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> any other uh final thoughts here um yeah some of,
4: as I said before, like some of the visual effects can be a little dodgy in this movie. It's just like a little too much. And I think that's one of my problems with the the very end of the movie. The last action set piece is kind of the, you know, things flying into other things, just people throwing bolts of colored pixels at each other. But the um, <laughs> the visual effects on, and I'll I I have to spoil it a little, but the visual effects on Chris Pines
1: double. Oh, when he's glitching? Yes. Hilarious. So The hardest (laughs) I laughed during the movie by far. So well rendered. That was great. That was genuinely hilarious. Took me by (laughs) surprise. Very clever. And I agree with you, Dan. The visual effects were inconsistent all throughout this. If the story and the characters didn't get me the way that the film did, then I would have been much harsher on this movie as a result yeah. of that. But when you have a scene like that, that just plays for comedy gold, I mean, my God,
4: it's so <laughs> funny. It just, it...
1: I'm, I'm laughing. Just thinking about it now, there's going to be so many great freeze frames of that plastered all throughout oh, the can... internet. I'm sure.
4: I can't wait. I can't wait. Ugh.
1: It will become the new reaction meme. Probably. <laughs> Okay, because I only got two notes here, because I was going to mention Chris Pine glitching. That was that was fantastic. Uh, the other thing I want to point out that made me laugh, probably the second biggest laugh I had in this movie was, now, is he going to walk around the rock? Is he going to walk over? Oh, no nope, he's walking <laughs> over it. <laughs> just a far shot of him just casually strolling. <laughs> Never breaking his gaze <laughs> off into the horizon. <laughs> like. Oh man, that was great. And then, uh, my final note here uh, there is a moment where Daisy Head's character, Sophina, notices uh, Doric flying around the room as a fly, and she points at it and she screams. Scared the shit out of me. (laughs) Honestly, that was some. I
0: don't know if she was taking inspiration from Passion of Christ, but that was some scary (laughs) shit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) How'd you draw that together?
3: What a reference!
1: Oh my god! Seriously, put that in the tweet. Wow! (laughs) Just pulled that out of your ass, and yet I'm like, I see it. I know what he's talking about. Oh, that's too funny. But yeah, I, I man, a lot of things took me by surprise in this movie. That was one of them. <laughs> so this is a film that when I first saw it, I had a certain grade for it in my head. And I considered it to be a good grade. I gave it a 6 out of 10 on my initial uh, viewing. I have not seen it a second time. However, I have continued to think about it more after having seen it than I initially anticipated. I thought that this would evaporate from my mind by the time we got to this review. I thought I wouldn't be as giddy to want to talk about it with everybody. And yet it has stayed with me. And it comes down to two elements that I mentioned before. And it's the two things that I've said on this podcast time and time again that will forever always eclipse everything else that you want to throw into your movie, whether it's big action set pieces Splashy visual effects, character and story will always win out. And I think that this movie does a really good job of adapting really tough source material, making it digestible and presenting a story in a clever manner around this heist uh, manner that audiences are finding to be entertaining. And then the casting, I think, is this film's ultimate secret weapon. It casts a spell on me. I can't deny it. I'm bumping up my grade to a 7 out of 10. I highly recommend people do check out this movie, despite some flaws that I do have with it. It can be a little silly at times. The visual effects are inconsistent, sure, but I think that there is room for growth, and I could see a potential sequel being uh, much better than this down the road, and we'll just have to wait and see when that comes to be. Amy, what about you? What grade would you give it?
2: I'm actually in a similar boat to you. I gave it a 7 when I left the theater. But talking about you guys really making it a community film just like the game actually is and remembering how much fun I had with it, I'm actually going up to an 8 for it.
0: Okay. Isaiah? I'm with Amy. I'm going to go with an 8. There was a version – of this film that could have been a nine, but I feel like that version is when the villain was better. The, the performance of the, it's good. It's not the performance. That's the problem. I just don't like the villain.
1: All right. Dan bear.
4: Um, you know, it's, I, I mean, a somewhat similar boat. I'm not actually changing my grade from when I first saw it, but like this movie has had surprising staying power in my brain since I saw it at South by and yeah, talking it, talking with you all about it it just reminds me of how much of a good time it is so please like go see it in a theater it's an absolute blast with an audience and i my grade for this is a seven out of ten
3: aaron i'm exactly like amy i, I came out of it a very very strong seven and i've not stopped thinking about it i've been researching the lore things that i had missed Uh, to follow up on, and this conversation has been just an absolute blast and reminded me about why I had such a good time. So I'm going to go up to an 8 as well. Wow, okay.
1: So Dungeons & Dragons, Honor Among Thieves, do we see any Oscar potential with this film? You know, normally something like this, I would say visual effects. However, it has been noted that the visual effects work is considered inconsistent here. So I'm going to venture no. But then my next question is... Could it be a surprise makeup contender?
4: Yeah, I was thinking that I would love for it to contend there, but it just feels like not the kind of movie they usually go for
0: just in general. If this was like five years ago, I would have straight up told you no. But with the expansion of that category to five now, I think that I'm starting to see other films, Matt, Nominated in the like in the early 2020s, that they I don't think they would have gotten in in a year of three, and I think that there's certainly a chance for makeup and hairstyling. I would also say that I don't think it's going to get nominated, but I could see this getting like a costume design guild when those uh guilds start to roll around. That that's something I could see happening.
4: Production design too, honestly.
1: No, I think I think we're overstating. E- yeah. I think Again, just
0: a on a
4: guild level, you know, like because they have the separate categories for the reasons. <gasps> oh, oh okay. I
1: see what you okay. Never yeah. mind.
0: Yeah. Good point. Good point.
1: Yeah, I think if there is an outside shot here, it is with makeup, but at the same time I'm not holding my breath. It would have to be a very weak year for the category for that to happen. I know Guardians of the Galaxy was nominated here in 2014, but I would actually argue that the work in that movie was probably showier than what we have here. Mm -hmm. I would argue that the graveyard scene could be considered a showcase for makeup, but yet there are too many moments in that sequence, particularly where I say... Yeah, there's makeup work on display, but it's obvious makeup work. And if you made it too realistic, it would be too gruesome and would get them an R rating. So they have to make it look a little fake looking, you know? I think your villain is your showcase. Bald, her
0: eyes, her like, I don't even know if it was prosthetics or visual effects, but if it was prosthetics, there's a sequence where like her hands start to like get all veiny and crusty and like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that's a good showcase.
1: I mean, in this regard, it kind of reminded me a little bit actually of like Star Trek, which also was nominated here back in 2009 and even won the category. Uh, But I don't know if this is going to be able to stand out as the most highly regarded and most entertaining choice within the category to win. You know, we still have other big blockbuster films that – will probably have very intense makeup work that will be highlighted more specifically, I think. Mm-hmm.
2: Guardians dream, maybe? Yeah.
1: I mean, that's also a possibility, too. Oh, you know you know what's one thing that just came to mind, actually? This isn't so much for an Oscar potential, but I just want to comment on it. I wish that Lauren Balfe's music in this was a tad bit more memorable yeah like i really wish that there was like a, an iconic memorable theme that i could walk away with saying i want to listen to that soundtrack never got that feeling while watching this i felt like that was a missed opportunity yeah, i
3: agree i agree he does such good stuff mm-hmm. especially like in tetris just like this week as well yes he's he could he can do it Um, But there wasn't anything that I came away with that was memorable.
1: It would be really cool if I could have walked away from this saying, let's get Lauren Balfe an Oscar nomination for an iconic fiend that he developed (laughs) or something, you know, but I I can't. (laughs) So, yeah, it's like
4: it's not bothersome. Like the music is not bad. It's just kind of there and fine. It takes the fantasy tropes and does that.
0: It's a score that exists. Yeah.
1: All right, then. Well, that'll do it here for our review of Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Aaron, thank you so much for returning back to the podcast again. Tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the Internet.
3: Hey, thank you, guys. This has been so much fun. And we weren't going to cover it on my podcast, Feel and Film. So I'm glad to get a chance to talk about this with other people. Uh, Yeah, you can find Feel and Film podcast in my work Anywhere uh, on any podcast uh, app you have, they have and just type in feeling F-E-E-L-I-N, apostrophe, F-I-L-M, and we should come up in Google right there at the top.
1: Great. Thank you so much once again. Amy Smith, where can they find you on the internet?
2: You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Films of Amy.
1: Isaiah Washington, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Izabot, I-Z-A-B-O-D, 13, capital I. Dan Baer?
4: You can find me on Twitter at Dance and Dan on film, on Letterboxd and Post at Dance and Dan.
1: And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our review of Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves here on the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support